Well, we continue this Sunday with the church season of Advent as we draw closer to Christmas. Advent again, meaning the coming or the arrival. For us specifically, Advent has two focuses. We celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus, born a child and yet a king, born to set his people free. He is, of course, the Word made flesh, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the one who has been born to us and for us. And we celebrate his arrival this Advent season on Christmas. And the second focus calls for us to look ahead in hope, looking ahead in hope during the season of Advent to that second coming of Jesus, when he shall come at last to judge between the living and the dead and to take us to be with him and all who have gone before us into heaven. And so our Old Testament text this morning and really all of uh, uh, our Advent season show us the longing for the Messiah to come, and with that longing, we read on the other side of Jesus already having come, a desire for him to come once again and for all. So we're going to jump right into our text this morning. It's been such a blessed morning already. We've welcomed new members into our family. We lit the Advent wreath. We've been singing, and in just a little bit, we'll gather together and commune together as one family. But let's pull our Bibles out. We're looking again at the prophet Isaiah today. This time we're looking at chapter 11. The words, of course, will be on the screen behind me and to the side of me. And uh, before we get started, this is something that I have found to be very helpful whenever I am about to go into the Word of God. It's just a a little prayer that I'll pray for us now. Um, You can kind of hold this in your heart. If it works for you, you can start to use it as you move forward. But it goes a little something like this. Lord, I pray for a more intimate knowledge of Jesus so that I may love him more and follow him more closely as you speak to us in your word today. Let our hearts find peace as we become aware, Lord, of the gaze that you have upon us as you look at us in love, as you give us your word. Amen. I love the idea of knowing that God is looking at us in love as he speaks to us in his word. But here's from Isaiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. This chapter here in Isaiah chapter 11 is predicting the birth of a new king. In fact, it is the direct prophecy of our Lord and King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we talked about word images that Isaiah has a way of creating. And here we have one of a new plant growing out of a dead stump. Now, Jesse, if we remember our Old Testament history, is the name of the father of David. David, who was the king of Israel, who wrote most of the Psalms, who was described in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart, and who God himself promised would have a descendant on the throne of Israel forever. Now, without this hint of Jesse there, we might miss the powerful significance of what this is declaring. But the name is telling us, the reader, the one who has eyes to see and ears to hear, that that this isn't a lesson on plants or a poem about some wishful thinking that is to come. But instead, this is the promise, the prediction about the royal family tree of David and all that is going to come when the new king arrives. See, at the time, the reigning king, King Ahaz, the current king, had brought this royal family line of David into absolutely nothing but ruin. Due to his lack of trust in God and his scheming, the Assyrians are coming and they're going to destroy everything. But Isaiah reminds the people 
that their power comes from God and God has made a promise to us. And God's promises and God's faithfulness do not change. And don't miss that. Because it is the same for us as well. When we continue to sin, when we continue to live as we should not, when we put ourselves first, God does not look and suddenly break his promise to us that he made to us on the cross. God remains faithful to us. And it is only by his grace and by his mercy, by his spirit, that we have the strength to continue and ask for one more day. Because we have come to depend on the restorative hope that we have in Jesus, crying out, have mercy upon us, repenting and daily turning towards him and his ways. And each time, what do you find from God but that he is the father of grace, he is the father of mercy, he is the father of love, and who gives you his spirit of endurance, of encouragement, and love. And by the power of God, new life can be brought out of a dead stump. What is completely dead before our eyes can be brought back to life. And sometimes we need that during Christmas time because Christmas seems to be the very best time of the year or the very worst or hardest time. Rarely is it somewhere in between. So this image, this word image, this promise is to be held deep in our hearts that by the power of God, New life can be brought out of what looks like a dead stump. Relationships lost, loved ones gone away from the faith. We don't give up. We don't stop praying. We don't stop trying because we know our God is faithful. The text continues that the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the ceremony of anointing was done to show someone was becoming a king. You remember when David was anointed by Samuel, right? The prophet Samuel told Jesse, line up all your sons. They lined them all up. Who wasn't there? David. He was a runt. He was way too little. He was tending the sheep in the fields. Samuel passes over all the people, says, is this all you got? And Jesse's like, well, I got that one other kid, the weird one in the sheep in the fields. He's like, bring him. And when he does, he's anointed as king. Because the pouring of oil, olive, symbolized this this divine outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon a person to equip them to serve as God's agent. Now here, what we are seeing is that the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon Jesus with the sevenfold fullness of his divine gifts. We see this often in Revelation. Gifts are always mentioned in seven ways to show completeness or fullness. Now, if you're counting, you're like my brother-in-law going, hold up, I only see six. That delight in the fear of the Lord, that last one, means delight in love, in reverence towards God. Love being the seventh one, to love God. And isn't that interesting to see how love, which is always used as fullness, Paul puts it at the first in his fruits of the Spirit. Love summarizes the commandments. The Apostle John wrote a whole letter on love. I like seeing here how in Jesus, he is all these things. He's wise, he's all-knowing, he's powerful, he's discerning. But the reason we sing and teach our little ones, Jesus loves me, this I know, is because this is the key. We remember always that our Savior loves us. And the descriptions keep coming. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Look at the promise here. Christ is for us. We see that our God has not removed himself from us, has not left us on our own or told us, figure it out, I got something else I'm going to do now. He comes to our cause. He comes to us. To me, this reminds me of that parable of the wicked judge and the widow, right? In the parable, the judge doesn't care about justice. He just doesn't want to be bothered by the widow who keeps pestering him. God is the opposite of that judge. His desire is for us to cry out to him in prayer. Prayer becoming that outpouring of our heart toward God, a a simple look that we give towards heaven and cry out for recognition and love. And in that prayer, while we do that, we embrace and trust that he will accomplish what he promises to do, that he will bring aid and justice. And so we patiently wait and trust and act accordingly. See also that the words of God The words of our Jesus speak against the illusions of this world and offer something far greater. Christ has promised to give you daily bread, not daily illusions. How long have we gone with the flow? How long have we been satisfied in our lives of just being a stump? Judged by our own eyes, we judge with our stomachs. We seek not the righteousness nor the justice of the needy or poor, but the comfortability of our own lives. We've put our trust not in the word of the Lord, but in the might of power, in the might of money, in the might of red and blue towers. Isaiah would call that a dead stump, barren and good for nothing. And the promise here is that if you desire more, If you tire of the darkness, if you want to be shown a different way, if you want to see light, come to the word of the Lord. Grow, feed on it. Let the word made flesh take root in you so that you may be filled with hope and joy and peace and trust. We talked about this last week, right? Prayer and his word, two gifts that are rooted in Jesus that we have been given while the great reversal here is happening. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion, the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, the viper's den, and the young child will put its hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as much as the waters cover to the sea. Again, without using words, Eden, or just only using words, we see Eden, we see paradise, we see Adam and Eve, the prophet painting this picture of a time before the fall. And the promise is that when the new king comes, the result upon the world will be completely fantastic. The rule of this new king is the undoing of all of the sin in the world. It's a return to the conditions of paradise when man and animals live together in peace. 
Notice in particular the hostility between man and the servant that is discussed in Genesis 3 is undone when babies can play safely with vipers as pets because in the new kingdom, the devil is done away with. And very quietly it is implied that one of the difficult truths that you will have to live with until this comes is the waiting is the understanding that the fullness of salvation for all creation doesn't happen immediately, but takes place over a period of time. And so we read this during Advent. When we know that the king has come and he has begun to rule, and we are living in this time between the advent of the new king, Jesus, and the full restoration of paradise. The king who came as a baby in Bethlehem has grown up, won for us the victory over death and sin at Easter, ascended to the right hand of God like we confessed in the creed with all power and authority, and now we wait during the period of growth in the kingdom of God, wait for the conclusion of all things and the second coming of Christ. And I want to take just a moment here to speak about that time in between. Because it's one thing to come up and say that Christ has come and you see this restoration that is coming. It's going to be powerful and it's going to be beautiful. And I understand that and I really do cling to that. The, the living in hope of looking forward to the promise that is to come. But what about right now? What about right now when so often this happens in the, in the moment of pain, in the moment of temptation, in the moment of struggle? You can't see the future. You struggle to easily call to mind the end result because the things right in front of us are far too much. When we cry out, I need you now, I need you immediately, it's then that we have to go back to the twofold gifts of prayer and the word. The first thing we have to do when that moment, when you find yourself in the moment, because it's moments, when it's too much, is to ask for help. You have been given a promise. Ask and you shall receive. It can be as simple as, Jesus, be with me. Father, I need you right now. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Jesus, be close to me. That's the first thing in the moments. Is it too obvious to say, do we think to ask for help in that fear, in that pain, in that discouragement? Ask for help in prayer. The second is the word. Call to mind those biblical verses, those Bible stories that you know that we each have in our hearts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty warrior who saves me. We each have verses that are rich and deep in us that we have to pull to our minds. I want to share one of you with, with one that I've been holding to lately. It's a story. It's not a verse. Like, I, I need the whole story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter gets out of the boat. 
walks on water and comes towards Jesus. But when he sees the wind, when he's afraid and beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climb back into the boat, the wind dies down, and those with them in the boat worship and said, truly, you are the Son of God. And I want to do this with you. I want to model it for you. If you'll, if you'll go with me there in your mind right now, go into this story. Now, maybe I, I do this right before I lay down to sleep, you know, and I, I'm, my mind is racing through the day. Maybe I'm just at work and I'm taking a break. But if you'll go with me now, you can see this. The, the 5,000 have been fed. Jesus is sending them away. You're there. He sends the disciples off in the boat. And you watch as Jesus makes his way up the mountain. It's nighttime. Jesus is praying. And this is one of those extraordinary times where we see Jesus praying. We get a glimpse of the, of the love that Jesus has in his heart as he prays. We see the communion, the oneness that he has with the Father. And as we watch him praying this way, we, we can feel it. That thrill of love that he has and feels that he's praying when he's praying. And in some way, when we look at Jesus praying that way, it, it, it draws us to that, doesn't it? To want to pray just like that, to want to share in it, to just stay there with him, connected, holding nothing back, just in prayer with Jesus, with the Father, the way that he models for us. But in the boat, not praying are the disciples. They're struggling. It's late. It's the dead of night, right? You see that too. You see wind and waves. And maybe you share in that too. I know I do. A kind of struggling that is, I guess struggling is a little bit more familiar to me than maybe the way that Christ prays. Having goals like I'm wanting to progress, but I just can't consistently do it. I, I, I want to be free of this, but for some reason I can't stop. I, I, I'm afraid to take that next step. And you're in that boat with the disciples, you can feel their tiredness. You can feel their, you can hear their disheartened words that they're shouting at one another. The spoken words like that, I, I know fear like that. But Jesus doesn't leave them alone. And he doesn't leave us alone. He comes to them walking on water, walking on water. He is symbolizing everything that there is to be afraid of. All of our worries, our fears, our problems. Jesus is walking on them. He is above them. And he approaches them, but they don't recognize him. There are times when Jesus, friends, is right there in our lives, but we don't yet see it. We have become so terrified, so preoccupied that we cry out in fear just like the disciples, but he speaks to us. He says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. I hear him say those words to me over and over and over again. And I start saying them to myself. And I'm not trying to convince myself of something. It's because it's truth. And I needed to cut through the noise. We have to hear the truth again and again and again. Take heart. I am with you. Do not be afraid. And you see Peter's courage. He asks to come out. I want to do that too, right? And we watch as Peter walks out onto this water. He leaves the boat. He's on the water. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. Can you see him looking at him? But then his eyes become aware of the wind and the insecurity of the position that he is walking on water. And we can sense with Peter his courage failing. 
And maybe you know that as well. The fear causes the courage to sink. But Peter cries out, Lord, save me. How many times have you cried out in your life out of fear? Not like a child afraid of the dark, but afraid of the darkness. Surrounded by darkness, needing light, needing an immediate, the gospel tells us, immediate hand reaching down to you. The hands, they meet. One outstretched in fear as he's sinking and the other stretching out in love, grasps him, holds on to it, saves him, immediately pulling him up. Oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Oh, man of faith, oh, 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 woman of little faith, why do you doubt? I don't know why we doubt. But I ask Jesus time and time again for simple faith, for a great faith to, to save me. For everyone who calls on him will be saved. And we get back in that boat and we do what we do, which is to get down on our knees worshiping and thankful for the goodness of God and for his faithfulness to him. Because he is the son of God who has come to save us. He is for us. He is our banner, our victory, our hope, our Messiah. Look at how the Isaiah text, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. His resting place will be glorious. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand. Second time to reclaim the surviving remnant from Assyria, Lower Egypt, Upper Egypt, Cush, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, the city of Orange, the islands of the Mediterranean. That is why we come because we have rallied to our Lord to gather under him, to gather under his love and his light, to experience the thrill of his hope again and again, his greatness, the hand that reaches out and pulls us right where we're sitting and says, stand up, stand up now and sing with us. No, no, really, stand up right now and sing with us. Because your God is for you has pulled you by hand to worship him, to know him, to experience him, to love him. How great 